Hi, my name is Kristen, and the Old Testament reading is found in Isaiah chapter 11, verses 1, 6 through 9. A shoot will grow up from the stump of Jesse, and a branch will sprout from his roots. The wolf will live with the lamb, and the leopard will lie down with the young goat. The calf and the young lion will feed together, and a little child will lead them. The cow and the bear will graze, and their young will lie down together, and a lion will eat straw like an ox. A nursing child will play over the snake's hole. Toddlers will reach right over the serpent's den. And they won't won't harm or destroy anywhere on my holy mountain. The earth will surely be filled with the knowledge of the Lord, just as the water covers the sea. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Matt. Uh, The New Testament reading is found in Revelations 5, 1 through 5. Then I saw on the right hand of him who was seated on the throne a scroll written within and on the back, sealed with seven seals. And I saw a mighty angel proclaiming with a loud voice, Who is worthy to open the scroll and break its seals? And no one in heaven or on earth or under the earth was able to open the scroll or to look into it. And I began to weep loudly, because no one was found worthy to open the scroll or to look into it. And then one of the elders said to me, Weep no more. Behold, the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered, so that he can open the scroll and its seven seals. The word of the Lord. Hi, my name is Ian. Please stand for the gospel reading found in Luke 2, 8 through 14. And in the same region there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, Fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. For unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in swaddling cloths and lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest, and on earth peace among those with whom he is pleased. The Gospel of the Lord. You may be seated. Well, good morning, church. We are in the third Sunday of Advent, and each week we've kind of just taken a few seconds to remind ourselves that Advent is not a more spiritual-sounding word uh, for the holiday season or for the Christmas season. Now, in church tradition, Advent is actually a season of preparation for Christmas, and Christmas stands alone as a season all on itself uh, from December 25th all the way through January 5th. But Advent is this time when we begin to prepare our hearts, and really, it's the moment that we stand between two arrivals. We stand having, looking back toward the arrival of Jesus as a baby in Bethlehem, and we stand looking ahead to the full revealing of Jesus as king when his kingdom arrives in fullness. In fact, one way to kind of think about it is that in Advent, the church stands between two proclamations. Joy to the world, the Lord is come, and Maranatha, come, Lord Jesus, come. And we live in the tension of these two arrivals, these two appearings, saying, God, we know you've come, and God, we're longing for you to make your presence and your reign and your rule a bear in fullness 
on the world. And so as we've gone through each of the weeks, we've talked about uh, what we do while we wait. We talked about the working and the watching and the waiting on the first week of Advent. And then last week, we talked about this idea of, of the, what are we waiting for? We're waiting for this incredible peace and the salvation, the faithfulness of God. But this morning, as we're in our series here, and it's called Beauty from Ashes because it gives a little hint of this hope that we have. But this morning, one of the questions, or maybe the question that rises to the top this week is, how do you give hope to someone who's not looking for it? How do you give hope to someone who's said, no, I I don't need it. I'm fine, actually. I'm not missing anything. I'm not in need of anything. I'm just all right. I'm not sure if all of us are aware of this, but for many people in our world, the old paradigm of evangelism of saying, let me go find the the missing, the God-shaped void inside people's hearts, and let me just help them see what they're missing, and then as soon as they discover that what they're missing is Jesus, everybody will say, oh wow, how then must I be saved? But I don't know if you've noticed, but actually that's changed. And if it hasn't changed fully, it's changed at least in part. To where when you talk to someone who is not following Jesus or hasn't surrendered their life to Jesus, you don't get the sense that they're missing anything. You don't get the sense that they're aching and longing and waiting. In fact, for all of us to say Advent is a time of of aching and of longing and waiting, there might be the sense from others around us that say, well, that's cute, but I've got everything I need. There's a philosopher who's on the chair of, of the philosophy, philosophy department at Oxford. His name is Charles Taylor. And he wrote this massive 900-page book called A Secular Age. And he outlines in that book how we got to where we are. I, I've never read that book. But there's a philosopher at Calvin College who wrote a 90-page book summarizing that 900-page book. I've read that book. And um, I just want you to know I'm not as smart as you might think I am. And, um, and, and James Smith, this Calvin College philosopher, says, one of the pictures of our age is like a sports arena with a retractable dome. You ever seen those, you know, like the one the Cardinals play in, or, right, where the Super Bowl will be at this year, where the Broncos will be winning in a few months? Anyway, sorry, distraction, I digress. But it's like playing, being on a dome, living life on the field, and all of a sudden, someone's closed the roof, but nobody noticed. Someone's closed the roof, and nobody misses the stars. Someone's shut up the heavens, and nobody's even noticed. Because the action on the field is all that matters. The thing that's going on in our day-to-day life is all that matters. The business deal, the job, the relationship, the party, the friendships, the good stuff, the bad stuff. This is all there is. This is all that matters. Somewhere along the way, at least in Western civilization, someone closed the roof to the heavens and nobody seemed to notice. How do you speak of hope in such a world? How do you speak of hope in such a world where it seems like when we say, God has come, what we've been waiting for is here, and they say, I haven't been waiting for anything. Now let's go get a drink. How do you talk about hope in this day and age? How do you talk about hope to someone who isn't waiting for it? In a sense, silence, maybe it's the silence from God that becomes a breeding ground for cynicism. 
this long feeling of, well, I've, I used to do the church thing. I used to pray. I used to ask. I used to believe. I used to fill in the blank. But after years and years and years of it not working, of nothing seeming to change, I don't know that it matters anymore. I was talking with someone recently who was telling me of a friend of theirs who had grown up at church and said, it's not so much that they don't believe in God, they're just not sure it matters. I'm just not sure I mean, whether I do or whether I don't, whether he is, whether he's not, who cares? Because silence can become a breeding ground for cynicism. After enough years of not being sure what up there has to do with down here, we just say, yeah, that's fine, close the roof, no problem. The action's on the field anyway. When I think of the Christmas stories and all of these narratives in the Gospels of these people that are waiting for the Lord to do something, I think the, character that, that maybe, the characters that maybe most embody this sort of rugged cynicism, maybe rugged self-reliance, are the shepherds. I mean, if there was anybody who just didn't really care, it might have been these guys. These guys who sort of thought, look, if anything's going to happen in the world, it's because we're doing it. If our sheep are fed, it's because we found better pastures. It's not going to be because of some king. It's not going to be because of some political program. We've given up on all of that anyway. In fact, we are, we've kind of opted out of the system. The shepherds are the people that are like, and I'm opting out of the system because the system's broke and it, nothing's going to fix it. So we're just going to wander from hillside to hillside to hillside. And to me, maybe they weren't this way, but I imagine the shepherds to be the rugged, cynical, self-reliant, sort of independent guys that say, you know what, I, I don't know. I don't know about this God stuff. I don't know about this temple stuff. I don't know about this king stuff. Well, we're going to just kind of, we're just going to take care of ourselves. Shepherds, we shepherds are for the shepherds. That's all we know. We got each other. And Luke, Luke has maybe one of the most dramatic scenes in all of the Gospels. He has one of the most dramatic scenes occur with the shepherds. It's to them that the heavens open up. Luke 2, verse 8. And in the same region, there were shepherds out in the field, keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were filled with great fear. And the angel said to them, fear not, for behold, I bring you good news of great joy. This is a phrase you can underline, good news of great joy, good news of great joy. That will be for all people, for unto you is born this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And he goes on and tells them how they will find him. Good news of great joy. When I say the words, breaking news, <laughs> what happens inside you? Do you get excited or do you get filled with dread? When you're scrolling the Twitter timeline, when you turn on the TV and there's a little ticker tape that says, breaking news. Immediately, if you're like me, immediately you kind of pause. It arrests your attention and you're thinking, what's gone wrong where? Because in our world, breaking news is always bad news. And good news, you know, that's personally shared. Friends might say this, a loved one might call and text or post a picture of something happy in their life. But breaking news is always bad news. Now here is breaking news that is good news. Good news of great joy. You know, if you think about it, 
Joy has a way of always surprising us. Joy has a way of kind of coming out of nowhere. C.S. Lewis used to talk about as a boy reading these fantasy stories and something would kind of awaken his imagination. He later would describe it as stabs of joy. That something would just, oh, I want that. I mean, I, I don't know if you, I felt it listening to Terry and, and Stephen play the music just now. A be- beautiful artist, beautiful musicians creating beautiful art. It, it, it gives you the stab of joy has a way of making you stop. These banners that Jeremy Grant, an artist in our congregation, designed, the reason for some of this beauty, joy, it has a way of stopping us. And maybe we can say it like this. Joy makes us look up. Joy makes us look up. So where, where, where did that come from? What, what, what is this? What was that? Even before we might have a name for it, joy has a way of stretching the seams of the roof overhead, opening it just a little bit, just enough to make us wonder and say, is there, could there be, is there something beyond? And maybe it's not music or art. Maybe it's a beautiful story of forgiveness. (coughs) This week we got to meet with a, a bishop from Rwanda who told the story of miraculously being spared from being killed, even while looking at, at, a, at a pit that had been dug and in which bodies had been thrown in. And somehow he was released by the soldiers. But then years later, finding the man who murdered his mother and feeling the spirit of the Lord say, go to this man and tell him that he is forgiven. And he says, I can't do that. I can't do that because this man's not repentant. In fact, he's arrogant and he's unkind and he's all of these things. And he said, I could not shake this voice. He described it as a voice said, go. And he found the man and the man immediately began to run away from him to flee. And and the voice says, follow the man. So he's following the guy and they're, you know. And the guy's running out of control, running away from Bishop Emmanuel. And the, the man runs into a tree and passes out. Not quite passes out, but is laying there. Very vulnerable. And Bishop Emmanuel comes up to the man and he says, you killed my mother. I am not here for vengeance. You are forgiven in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Maybe when you hear a story like that, it makes you look up. Because you think, what kind of forgiveness? What kind of reconciliation? What kind of beauty is this? What kind of joy is this? I was happy to live in a world with the closed heavens, but a story like that makes me look up. And then the angel goes on and says, born this day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ the Lord. Now, chances are you're so numb to these phrases because we hear them every Christmas. The city of David, the city of David. Do you know what a big deal this was? That the angel said, born this day in the city of David. Our Old Testament reading this morning was from Isaiah 11, where Isaiah says, a shoot will come from the stump of Jesse. Like, I don't even know what any of that means. Okay, let me help you. (laughs) Jesse was David's father. And a stump was the image for a royal line that had disappeared. See, David was the greatest king in 
Israel had ever known. He had united the, the clans. He had led them into their glory day. It was the golden age of Israel under David's reign, and it followed, it continued even more with Solomon because of the peace and the prosperity, and then it all began to unravel. And you have the kingdom splitting in two. Israel in the north kept ten tribes. Judah in the south kept two Israel's taken by the Assyrians in 722 BC. They're scattered and dispersed. Judah is taken by Babylon around 586, 587. And Jeremiah says that this last king, Jeconiah, is the king who was taken into captivity. Now, if you read 2 Chronicles, which I know you likely do every night before bed, because it's just riveting, or it helps with getting ready. But 2 Chronicles ends with the genealogy. And it ends with the genealogy of these kings. And it says, it's, it names Jeconiah as the king who was taken captive. And then it says there's this son. And then there's this. But after Zerubbabel, it kind of gets squirrely. They start to say, well, there's three sons. And they're not sure which lineage to follow anymore. Why? Because there was no more kings that came from that family. Before, it was easy to trace it. We know which child to follow because this one became king and then this one became king. You know, after a while, you're like, well, this, he kind of had three kids, but we, none of them were. Yeah. And when Matthew picks up his genealogy and traces Jesus's line through David, he follows a totally different trajectory after Zerubbabel. Why am I telling you all this? The point is, when you say the stump of Jesse, you're talking about a dream that had been cut off. You're talking about a promise that everyone believed was over. You're talking about a royal line that nobody could find anymore. Where, where, where did it go? Who is it? Who's the heir to the throne? Who's going to bring back the glory? Who's going to make it happen? Who's going to fulfill the promise? How, how? When? Who? Listen, we, we, don't, we don't really know. And Isaiah says, listen, this family line of David, it's not over. You think it's the stump of Jesse, but it's not over. From it, a shoot will spring. And so when the angel says, this day is born in the city of David, it's heaven's way of announcing it ain't over. It's heaven's way of saying, <laughs> we're not done. It went away for a while. You couldn't track it. You couldn't trace it. You couldn't map it. You didn't know what God was doing. But it's not over. It's not over. The dead stump will produce a shoot. Where is the dead stump in your life? Where is it? If you were to think about this and to say, where, where is that place that has been cut off? You say, God, I thought that we were doing well, and all of a sudden, or maybe it wasn't all of a sudden. Maybe what makes it worse is that you know it's because of a mistake you've made. So I, you know, I'm, I mean, I did that, I did this, I did this, and so. Israel and Judah certainly had their long list of mistakes, unfaithfulness. If the prophet had said, it's a stump of Jesse, and it's going to be a stump, deal with being a stump. It's okay, yeah, we, we deserve it. But only God can take a stump and make there be shoots of new life again. The joy makes us look up. But Jesus, 
brings new life. Jesus brings new life. The places that we thought were dead and over and finished, the end, the glory days are behind, nothing good ahead. Where are the dead ends in your life? Where are the stumps? I can't stand up here and say to you, ah, don't worry, everything that you thought has ended is going to be okay. This isn't like a 1980s sitcom where in 28 minutes or less, all of the complex relational problems of family and friendships will all be put together with a bow as soon as, you know, Uncle Danny sits down with the kids and the music comes on. Full house reference, anybody? And this isn't that. I'm not saying that. But I am saying that God has a way of bringing new life even when you thought it was all over. We know that as a church. You think of the story of New Life Church seven years ago, eight years ago. We thought it was over. Nobody thought it would continue, let alone produce something like all of you. This congregation downtown. On and on, you could probably think about different stories, different moments. But I wonder if the reflection for us this morning is really in this. What if the closed roof is really another word for a dead end? This thing that you said, no, I, I, who's missed God? I'm not missing God. We've got the closed roof. It's fine. We're all here. Everything I need, everything I want is here. And all of a sudden, there's these moments where you run to the end of it, like in the Truman Show where he's rowing his boat and he comes to the end of the set. And you realize, you know what? <laughs> I thought I had this happy little reality here, but it turns out, a closed roof is really a dead end. It turns out what I thought was just fine. It's fine. I'm, living, I'm just okay. I'm right here. It's really a dead end. There is no stump like the stump that sin creates. There is no death like the death that sin brings. There is no dead end like the dead end of our own sin. The ultimate dead end. Is this deadness that sin brings. Sin has a way of making a stump out of everything. It just kind of ruins it. Ah, oh, this was growing so well. And the good news of great joy is that Jesus has overcome our sin. Jesus has overcome our sin. If that is true, that the very worst, the dead end of all dead ends is our own sin and our own rebellion. And if Jesus found a way to bring new life out of that, then the God who makes a way has found a way to redeem us. The book of Revelation was our New Testament reading for the day, and he hears the voice say, weep no more. Weep no more. For the lion of the tribe of Judah, the root of David, has conquered. Weep no more. Weep no more. See, there is a moment where we come against the dead end and we say, ah, this is it. And then we have this glimpse of Jesus. He says, weep no more. Weep no more. 
for the root of David, the same God who made a green shoot come out of the stump of Jesse, the same God who found a way to make a way where you didn't think it was possible, this same God has overcome. Weep no more, for the root of David has overcome. The root of David has conquered. There's no greater picture of this than the cross itself. The cross to us is a symbol of hope and of life. But of course, the cross wasn't that at first. The cross was an instrument of torture and death. The cross was the most horrific instrument of oppression. You might say the cross was the ultimate picture of a dead end. If you got yourself in trouble to the point that they crucified you, amen. Ain't nobody going to help you. It's over. Jesus, all your sermons and healings, those were all cute and nice. We appreciated that. But what would you do going and creating trouble? Why would you have to go get crucified? And today we look at the cross draped with a a pink linen that reminds us this is the Sunday of joy. Today we look at the cross and we say, God took an instrument of death and made it the means of life. God took the stump of Jesse and made green shoots come. God sent the root of David to come as the true king to conquer what? To conquer the greatest enemy of all, to conquer our sin. There is no more dead ends. Maybe the phrase that Paul uses in Corinthians, for all who are in Christ, you are new creation. No more dead ends. No more stumps. No more death. No more weeping. Weep no more. For the root of David has conquered. Would you bow your heads this morning? We're not peddling a cheap hope that says, come to church and everything's going to work out. But we are carriers of the greatest news of all, good news of great joy. A Savior has been born, a Savior who turns dead ends into a new way, a Savior who brings life beyond death. A Savior who brings rescue out of our sin. A Savior who makes it so we are never really stuck. Where you are this morning, would you, would you welcome that joy into your own life? Say, God, I've got some dead ends. And I'm trying to I'm trying to push my way out of the dead ends, but like the shepherds, I'm I'm trusting in myself too much. There's too much self-reliance going on. What I need is for someone else to rend the heavens, someone else to rip open the skies, someone else to come and sing over us with great joy. Our repentance this morning is not a way of shaming ourselves. It's a way of saying, God, I give up. This is a dead end for me, but it's not for you.
I'm not going to trust in myself. I'm going to be like those shepherds. <laughs> I'm going to go and worship. I'm going to go and kneel. I'm going to come to Jesus and bow down. I'm going to let go of all the ways I've been hanging on to control and clinging on to trying to make it. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to receive the news of great joy that heaven is singing over you this morning. Heaven is singing over you. Church, in your darkest night, when you can't see it, when the roof seems to be closed overhead, I want you to know there are angels singing over you, singing of a Savior who's come, singing of a Savior who comes to bring new life out of dead ends. Would you worship him this morning? Would you turn to him this morning?